Welcome to 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness with your host, Dr. Rob Bell. Dr. Rob interviews expert coaches, executives, and athletes about mental toughness and their hinge moments. The hinge. It connects who we are with who we've become, and it only takes one. And now for your host, Dr. Rob. run a lot <laughs> like you know maybe I'd get up and run in the morning and then and then maybe in the afternoon I'd run over to the local high school and and run with the high school kids and then run home from the high school and like so I was getting in all these miles um, and yeah my high school coach he I, I guess he kind of knew my skill set and he could probably see that I was like in I was pretty good shape and so yeah he suggested JFK and I, I really wasn't sure. I, like 50 miles, I had never done that. It sounded, it sounded a little out there. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of, I ended up jumping in it more or less at the last minute, and and then the rest was history, really. Hey, this is Dr. Rob Bell. If you want a free ebook, the best mental toughness quotes that will make you better, just text Dr. Rob Bell. That's D R. R-O-B-B-E-L-L to this number, 33444. You'll get a download right away. Are you one of nearly 7 in 10 Americans who doesn't feel fully rested when the alarm clock rings? Do you dread your mornings? Let's change that. Psalm Sleep is a drug-free, non-habit-forming sleep drink in a small can that can help save your nights from tossing and turning. Find out for yourself at getsom.com and stop dreading your alarm. Psalm sleep, it gives you Z's. So our guest today has won such races as uh, Madeira Island Alter Trail Race in Portugal. He's a two-time winner of the North Face 50. Uh, he's winner of the CCC Lake Sonoma 50 miler and the JFK 50 miler. He's had top 10 at uh, the UTMB. So for all the non-ultra marathoners there will post those links but our guest was was born in kenya his parents were missionaries but he grew up in lancaster county there in pa uh, he was a caretaker at, at bar camp which essentially it's the highest hiking cabin in america it's a hostel for twenty-five thousand hikers a year at about ten thousand feet uh, near pike's peak um he was living, working, and training also on a cruise ship, and his hinge moment occurred in 2013 when his high school coach, Jeff Bradley, suggested, hey, why don't you enter the JFK 50-miler? Our guest is sponsored by North Face, Buff, Nathan, Goo, and GrandPA.org. Uh, you must watch the latest documentary that was produced by uh, Billy Yang. It was titled, Zach in relentless pursuit of his best. Our guest today is none other than Zach Miller. Zach, thanks so much for taking the time, buddy. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, good to be on the show. So I want to start with this. Before we delve into JFK, you, you, you were described as like, quote, mediocre runner in high school. And can you just start with that and tell us about that experience? Uh, yeah, I mean, in high, in high school, I, I actually was a soccer player first. Um, so for a while I would run soccer or I would play soccer and then I would run track um, because the seasons you could do, you could do both. Um, but I wouldn't run cross country because it conflicted with soccer. But then as I 
as I went on through my years, I kind of figured out that the the part in soccer that I was really good about was the running part more so than the soccer part. And then the coaches at my high school started to notice that, you know, I was pretty good at running. So they kind of started pressuring me to join the cross country team. So I actually started running cross country in 11th grade. um, And I had started running track in eighth grade and I was good. Like I was good for my school. Uh, I was one of the better runners at my school. You know, I was, a decent runner within the league, but I was by no means like a division one prospect or anything like that. Um, I was better in cross country. It was a little longer. Um, We did have a team that went, we had a team that went to the state championships and everything, Um, but I was not the number one runner on my team. Um, And in track, I could bear, I, the league championships, which was like the lowest level championships was as far as I would get every year. I'd make that meet and I'd never make it to districts. I'd never make it to states. Um, so yeah, I really wasn't um, like a highly sought after recruit or anything going to college. Um, I ended up going to a division three school with a good program and I developed a lot there. But even when I left there, I was a good division three runner. I had won some races and things but I wasn't an All-American um, and I, I wasn't really going to get picked up by any sponsors to run professionally. I, I was just kind of one in a million, you know, like as in like there were me and a million other people on about the same level. Right. So then you start working. I mean, you're working on a cruise ship. You're living, working and training while you're doing that. And and even in the documentary, you kind of talk about, I mean, you were, you were able to go on long runs when you'd be at port. So your, your coach, Jeff Bradley, your high school coach suggests, Hey, what about this JFK 50 miler? You contact race director, Mike Spindler, and you, you drive your Mazda to, to Maryland. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I was my buddy. So I think we actually, I think we drove his Chevy S10, but okay. <laughs> maybe it was my Mazda. But yeah, minor detail. Um, the car, the car doesn't have anything to do with the race, really. Uh, um, I just like the yeah. Mazda idea, though, man. It sounds cool. Yeah, I, I I did drive that thing for a lot of years. That was kind of my style. Just keep it simple and <laughs> work with what you got. Um, I was training on the ship. That's correct. And yeah, one when I worked on the ship, you would work and live on board for like anywhere from like three months to nine months at a time. Um, I think the longest I did was like seven or nine months. And then they'd give you long vacations of like six to eight weeks. Um, so I was home on a vacation one time and I was, I was fit cause I had just done, I'd done like a running vacation in Europe where I did a bunch of running in the mountains and I came home and I, I, I didn't, you know, I was on vacation from my job for weeks on end. So I would just, I would just run a lot. (laughs) Like, you know, maybe I'd get up and run in the morning and then, and then maybe in the afternoon I'd run over to the local high school and, and run with the high school kids and then run home from the high school. And like, so I was getting in all these miles. um, And yeah, my high school coach, he, I I guess he kind of knew my skill set and he could probably see that I was like, I was in pretty good shape and so yeah he suggested JFK 
and I, I really wasn't sure. I, like 50 miles, I had never done that. It sounded, it sounded a little out there. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of, I ended up jumping in it more or less at the last minute, and and then the rest was history, really. So in, in that race, you kind of talk about, I mean, you know, Rob Carr at that time was, you know, dominating, doing great in races, and you, and you kind of ran with him during that race. And I mean, what, what do you remember about that experience about in that race and feeling good and thinking like, hey, man, I got a shot here? Um, yeah, I mean, the whole thing was just really bizarre because like, a few weeks prior, I had been, I had mentioned that, that running vacation in Europe. I had, I had been in Europe because I got off the boat and I, I wanted to go run in the, in the Alps. So I stayed over there. My boss let me stay over and, and I, I was running in Chamonix and I remember being there with like all these, you know, Chamonix is like a gathering place for like mountain athletes. And I remember being there with all these young kids and we we're talking about like Killian Jornet, you know, cause he's like the king. And, I was such a newbie, like, basically, I was just like a fanboy. We're talking about Killian, and um, he was supposed to race U-Rock that year, and I think maybe he did, but he didn't win. He either didn't race, or he raced, but he didn't win, and the guy who beat him was Rob, and that year, Rob was just on fire. I mean, basically, everything he entered, he won, and he was entering competitive stuff, you know, Western States, U-Rock, which that year was really stacked. Um, and so basically it was just this weird couple of months where I was like, I knew very little about the sport, but I knew enough to know of guys like Killian and Rob. And I was having these experiences <laughs> where I was kind of, you know, I, you know, running into people who knew about these people and kind of having conversations talking as if, you know, like these are like, these are the guys, like these are the best in the world. Right. And then like a couple of weeks later, I'm, I'm on a start line with Rob, which I didn't even know because I, I, I just didn't, I didn't know much. And I didn't really, I guess, research much about who was in the race. And yeah, I did. It wasn't until like mile 25 when Rob and I were at the front, the only two left at the front. And I figured I might as well figure out who I'm running with. And then I started talking to him and he's like, Oh, I'm Rob. And you know, I'm like, Rob, Rob, what's your last name? And he's like, Car. And then I kind of like, you know, like my foot was in my mouth, and I was kind of like, oh goodness. <laughs> um, so yeah, but th that was bizarre. I was just like, at that moment, I think I was. My thought process was like, wow, I can't believe this. If if I get second, if I get second to Rob today, I'm gonna be like just thrilled. And if by some miracle I beat him, I, I'm going to maybe cry. <laughs> you know, that was just how kind of surreal and unexpected it was. So in that moment, and if you mind us going back there, I'm always fascinated by the little intricacies. So did he or you just try making a move? Or I mean, because all that, that whole stretch there on the Sino Canal, um, you know, I would just have to think like in my own head, um, how did you stay focused kind of on your process and how did that, that whole thing play out? Yeah. I, I mean, basically for me, I just raced. Like yeah. I didn't really think that much about like 
what we were doing, I guess. I I had I had come off the Appalachian Trail back in I don't I don't remember, like third or fourth or fifth. And Rob was actually right with me at that point. Uh, but then we separated and I started picking off the guys in front of me. And I, I went all the way up to the last guy who was in the lead, lead. And I didn't really push to separate from him. I just kind of settled in and started running with him. Um, I think it was Josh Arthur. And then Rob came up behind us probably around mile 20 or so. And that was that that was where I think maybe Rob was trying to figure out what we had, like what he was dealing with. Cause I remember the pace getting really aggressive. Mm-hmm. Like I felt like we were running like five forty miles or something, which, you know, compared to marathons, that's not insane. But when you're running 50 miles, you know, that's pretty quick. Um, and I just remember thinking like, man, if we keep doing this, like we're going to maybe all blow up. Um, but for some reason I just stuck with it. Like, I think partly it was just my competitive nature. I was, I was just like I, I, in college and high school running was always kind of like, just hang on, like, especially in training, like get in a group. I remember early days of college being out um, as a fresh doing like a small run and I remember latching on to like a group of like some of the top guys on the team and I just like I just hung on like for dear life like you just got like you know step for step and you're, you're like on the brink of kind of breaking but you just keep holding on and I think that's kind of what I did and Josh Arthur disappeared and then it was me and Rob and then and then I, we just we just kept racing and and that was you know that that was it was just kind of like don't let him go like and and that's basically i think was the gist of my mental game <laughs> was like yeah. just keep up and you decided then at that point like coming off the uh Sino canal i mean make a move or how did that how did that one play no not not really um so everybody was watching all day and i think they were just assuming i was going to fall apart like because nobody knew who I was. Uh, they, but there was a point where I had, to, I had to make a pit stop to go to the bathroom. So I pulled off the trail. And when I did that, Rob, Rob got a gap on me. And so we went through, I think, like mile 34. And all of a sudden, there was this gap between me and Rob. And everybody thought I just broke. They were just like, oh, he's done now. Like, he, he, finally, he finally snapped 34 miles. That's all he had. Um, but really, I just stopped to go to the bathroom. And so then I started to catch up to Rob. And I think he pulled up to go to the bathroom. And so when we went through mile like 38, I was actually in the lead. And then everybody went berserk. Um, they, they were like going to my buddy who's crewing me trying to like, like ask him who I was like what my PRs were like, and it was really funny, because he didn't really have anything to tell him, you know, yeah. he's like, oh, well, he, you're in the 10k for RIT, like, you know, it's like division three. Um, and I had no marathon time or anything. Um, and so, yeah, when we went through 38, I think Rob was just behind me. And I think I probably got excited there and I might've started to press a little bit. Um, or maybe more than a little bit. I don't know, but I don't remember being like, okay, I'm going to drop Rob. I think mm-hmm. it was more, I just kept running and I was excited. So I was like, 
I was running like strong. And then when you get to about mile 42, you turn off the, the CNO onto the road. And when I did, when you do that, you kind of do a hairpin. So you get to look back at the trail. And I remember looking back and Rob wasn't there. And I, I was surprised. Like, I didn't know, I didn't know where he was. Like, I think I kind of expect him to be right behind me. And he wasn't, I couldn't even see him. Um, and so then I just, then I just kind of rolled it to the finish. Um, I remember I'd never run that far. So I remember like feeling like I was running really slow, like feeling like I was dragging. But uh, at that race, they usually follow the lead runner in with a car for the final eight miles. Um, and I remember them reading splits to me and I just like, I, I was dumbfounded, like, cause I'd be running and they'd be like 620, 615. And I like that, like that can't be right. I feel like I'm running nine minutes per mile, <laughs> mm. uh, but I was actually running quite fast. Um, so yeah, it was more of just like a natural separation from Rob. Um, he had actually dropped at 42, I think. Um, but I didn't know that for all I knew, I was still racing. Like for all I knew, he was still right behind me um just around a bend or something right but yeah there wasn't like a I'm gonna drop him moment it was more just like I did and then I just kept running yeah what did that whole experience how did um how did life change for you after that yeah I yeah it was pretty wild um I remember we got back to the hotel that night um me and my buddy and we like logged on it was back in the i i didn't have a smartphone it this was 2013 so technology was technology was you know obviously advancing so fast it was different um i was also probably just behind the times and didn't have all the fancy stuff uh, i remember going into the if you remember hotels would have those like little offices oh yeah in the lobbies with the computers and i remember we went in there and we got on the computer and when we logged I logged into Facebook and I just had like, there were just all these like, I don't know, pictures and comments and friend requests. And it's just like, it was causing quite a stir. And, um, and I was just kind of soaking it in and it was just kind of dumbfounding. And yeah, I, I mean, I went home and we, you know, I just kind of continued on, but then I, I, I kept getting these requests for interviews. And um, I think because of, it was just kind of this perfect storm of JFK was a course where the times meant something mm -hmm. because it was an old course. It also was a, a big field for American ultras. Um, and there had been some good runners who had ran on the course. So like, basically they knew what good times were. And apparently what I ran was a really good time. Um, so it got a lot of attention. It wasn't like, you know, some course that was in like its second year running and, you know, you break the course record by 30 minutes and nobody really knows if that's good or, you know, not. Um, this was like, okay, we've been running this course for like 50 years and this is the third fastest time. And they thought the weather conditions were worse. Um, so like, yeah, it, so it meant something. And for me, that just did wonders. Um, it got a lot of attention, got a lot of interviews. 
And then it got a little bit of attention from the sponsors. Um, not like a ton, uh, but you know, I, I had a few companies reach out and, um, and then I, I did end up signing, signing a deal with Nike. And yeah, so it really just, it, it changed the course of my whole life. Like it opened up doors with sponsors and it opened up doors with races. All of a sudden it was like, oh, people want me to come to their race now. Like, um, where usually it was like, okay, I'll race stuff that's local here in Pennsylvania or whatever. And now it's like, I can go to like California and race. Like they'll let me into these races and they'll invite me to these races. And that was just a very different, different world. Hey, this is Dr. Rob Bell. Our new book, Puke and Rally. It's not about the setback, it's about the comeback. It can be bought anywhere books are sold or go to the website pukeandrallybook.com always say the uh, hinges open uh, open those big doors man with um i mean can you talk about like your passion even around that time i mean obviously something had to happen before jfk where you were all in you know, and even with your racing style, which we'll talk about it. I mean, you're all in on your races, but um, walk us through like that passion that you had towards, you know, your craft and, and where you were going in your direction. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the elements, they were always there. Uh, I was just kind of, I think I was, I just kind of needed to find my niche where they fit, like, it wasn't like I had made a ton of drastic changes. Um, you know, I was more just doing the same stuff I had been doing for years, you know, maybe to a higher level. Like, or like I would say I, I, I probably started running more miles, but I was always kind of a miles heavy runner. Like in college, I would be one of, I'd have one of the highest mileages on the team. Um, but you know, uh, after college, you know, I, I probably, I, I started doing runs more on trails and in mountains and, you know, figuring out that I could run for a lot of hours, you know, it wasn't necessarily always about the miles. Um, so I, I mean, I did change some stuff, um, but really a lot of the nuts and bolts, they, they were really the same things I've been doing for years and years. I think it was more just like, I finally got to the point where my body was kind of like maybe at this junction of like where the hard work and the the hard work and maybe like some time to rejuvenate and um and the passion just all kind of like came together in a way that it could all be realized um and then the format of the 50 miles I think was really like in my wheelhouse um I just kind of didn't didn't know that um so so yeah I mean I think it 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 was a culmination of many years of just being really passionate about running and and working hard to be the best that I could at running you know I was always very dedicated and going out and doing my runs and putting in the work and doing my core routines and just like just putting in the work. And I'd done that for years and years and years and years. And then I think it, you know, it just, it kind of just finally came to a point in my life where 
where it clicked and I found the right like event and the right niche of the sport to put to use everything I have been accumulating over the years. Yeah. The part that I, that I like about that one is, you know, I mean, cause I think of like youth athletes now and they think, and it's kind of pressed upon them that there is this, you know, sequential path that they have to take. And if they're not at this level in high school, then there's no way they can be at that level in college. And, you know, and, and I think then maybe like the vision that they have for themselves kind of gets dwindled a little bit, but that's why I like your story so much because you put in the work, you know, 10 years for that one moment and and then you found kind of that niche i think that's the part that i like about it man is because it gives hope i think to so many different people that are putting in that work but just haven't found that sweet spot yet yeah and i think there's like another really nice thing about the whole ultra thing for me is it was something that was really fun and something i really enjoyed when I was in college, it was very, I mean, I loved running, but it was very focused on pace um, and like, do this, don't do that. Like, you know, I guess sometimes in college and high school, I felt like I kind of had to hold back because it was like, oh, like today we ran 16 miles. Like I probably shouldn't go out and ride my bike, you know, or go on this big, like, adventure or whatever because like I don't want to tire myself out like it doesn't fit in the training plan you know so like I because I'm a I like to be outside I like to do stuff I like to have adventures um and I think sometimes in college I felt like I had to like tone back because it's like well I like to do that stuff but it doesn't fit the plan of what we're trying to do for this track season um where when I got to ultra it was really or like post-college and I could just do whatever I wanted and I started to focus more on like ultra. I think it was really freeing because I realized, well, this was kind of a new sport that I didn't have figured out. And I was like, and it seemed crazy that guys ran this far. So I, my mentality was kind of like, well, I guess you just got to be like as tough and as strong as you can and have as much endurance. So I was kind of like, well, now I can do whatever I want. Like I can, you know, I can, ride my bike for two hours and then go on a 20 mile run. And not that I was necessarily doing that, but like, I would just it'd be like, Oh, I want to run this 25 miles today. It's like, Oh, I can. And I don't need to feel guilty that maybe I'm subtracting from my 10 K performance in two weeks, you know? So I, I think for me, that was freeing. And then it just let me do something that I really love. And I just kind of ran with it. And it was just like, I just love to do this. Um, and for like young athletes, I think if you can find something that you love that much, then it's like, then it's much easier to work at it because it's like, it's work, but it's, but it's not work. Like there'll still be days where it feels like work, but it's really just something you're very passionate about. Um, and then that makes the whole process, you know, that, that much easier. Yeah. So one of the things I read, I mean, do you still, you kind of made the joke, I think in the post uh, conversation with Billy about, you know, clicking on, you know, your watch. Like, do you, do you run free of like GPS? Um, you know, I have for many years. Um, which I think is awesome, by the way. What'd you say? Which I think is awesome, by the way. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this is kind of a funny question because I've actually been thinking about making some changes this year. Um, but 
when I was in high school, I actually I actually have it right here. This was this was my 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 Garmin in high school. When I was in high school, I, I must have saved up my money and I bought this Garmin, which is like this is a Forerunner 101. Like <laughs> this thing is like ancient. It's it's a box. Um, but I used to run around with that on my arm, and I was very into the data and got a kick out of seeing my pace and things. Um, and then when I got into high school, college, you know, it was all very like. Um, I think coach maybe structured it a lot off of effort, but we, as college runners, you know, we're always looking at our watches and the paces. So we got very addicted to like the pace aspect. And for me, that became like an element of success. And it was like, okay, last week I ran this loop in 45 minutes. So this week I need to run it in at least 45 minutes or I'm not really going to feel happy about, you know, where I'm at. Um, and I think I let it, I basically let the dr watch drive me instead of me driving the watch. Mm -hmm. And I think that became detrimental for me. So after college, I kind of just got away from that and went stripped down and like, I, I would just kind of tra keep track of more like one variable, the other, like either time or distance, but not both, because if I did both then I could calculate pace and then I could analyze and then I could like lay awake at night thinking about, am I on track or not? Mm -hmm. You know? So I just kind of kept it simple and that worked really well for me. Um, now this year, like if you follow me on Instagram, you'll occasionally see me post things uh, like a GPS blog from like a cycling workout. And actually a teammate texted me the other day and was like, wait, you have a GPS? I was like, well, I use it for cycling uh like i turn it i use the or like right this gps app and i turn it on when i cycle and i found this year that like for cycling it's a sport i don't really know so i'm kind of like am i good at this am i not good at this like how fast do guys ride like how fast do they ride these climbs and it's been super it's been super nice to have that because i kind of get a gauge for like where i'm at and i don't know i just kind of like seeing the numbers too. Um, but with, yeah, with running, like for years, I've kind of stripped it down. Now, like I said, I consider making some changes this year, but I, I think the key isn't really like, I have developed this persona of like, just keep it simple. Like I actually have this, what I call cabin clock training, where when I worked up our camp, mm -hmm. I would just look at the clock on the wall like I would in the kitchen when I was young in like high school, I just look at the clock in the cabin and then leave and run and come back and look at the clock again. And like, if it wasn't long enough, I'd go back out. Um, and it was just like, when I was out there, I was just free. I didn't have to think about paces. Um, you know, I still had like an idea of how long I was running, but I wasn't like giving myself too many variables. Um, so but, you know, I have done some runs with like a GPS, like a GPS turned on on my phone and it's fun to map routes and show people what you've done. And I appreciate that. And I can even see like a real benefit to having like the data for like workouts and things. I think the key though is making sure that like you do the driving and the watch doesn't do the driving. Right. So whether you use the technology or not, I think it's more about how you use it than whether or not like it's on your wrist. So like if it's, 
if the technology is motivating you and helping to keep you on track, then that's great. If it's, if it's, if it's forcing you into like an unhealthy habit of training, uh, of like obsession and too much analysis, then I think you are, then I think there can be a benefit to either ditching it or just really, or just like figuring out a way to get yourself to like have the data, but not like, but not be so tied to it. Just be like it's there, but it doesn't it doesn't define me. Like it's just kind of a diary that I can look back at and that I can utilize. But at the end of the day, it it doesn't need to change. Like it shouldn't have a drastic input on like how I feel about myself or how hard I'm pushing. If I'm supposed to go 75% effort, I need to go 75% effort, not not 85% effort because it's going to get me the time that I think I should get at 75%. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, I think most people, I mean, they'll, they'll do it because how, how am I going to get the props in the back if I'm not posting my, my workout yeah. for everybody to see? Yeah. It, it is really like, it is funny how like humans, we, 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 especially in today's day and age, we, we really have this craving for like um, validation, like, and feeling like, like we accomplished something. And those little apps are like, for, somehow they do that. Like you see, oh, 10 miles, I ran 10 miles and you, you just feel really good. Or you ran 10 miles and you ran it fast and you're like, oh, I feel great about myself. And that part is really good. But it's the other side when like you have that day where your body just isn't feeling it. And that's okay. Like you always have, like those come and go. Like I've learned that over the years. Like you'll have days where you just feel off and you can't find any explanation for it. Like you'll be like, I'm not even, like I didn't do a hard workout yesterday. I didn't, I'm not even in the midst of a hard week. And like, I just feel like garbage. And I've learned that like, you have to just kind of like learn to just let that go. Be like, well, like, well, okay. That's just part of the process. Like we just keep tomorrow we show up and we run again and we don't, overthink this because I think I think American runners have a really strong tendency to just overthink and then we cause ourselves all this extra stress that we that we don't that we don't need yeah um that's why that's why I say a lot of times I think um you know we're training ourselves We're, we're not always testing ourselves I think a lot of times we get out there in that testing mindset like Hey man, well today, if today was the day, how would I have done? And I, I think the, the incorrect belief there is like, well, today isn't the day. Like uh-huh. we're training, like that's the whole point of yeah. training. I think it, then it gives us, you know, a little bit more leash, man, to go ahead and, you know, um, you know, be okay with not being like perfect every single day. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. And you're not, you're not going to be like, you're not going to be perfect every single day. Um, so yeah, it's just like yeah, I th- I think it's just helpful to just like simplify things sometimes, but like but I don't think it's like a yeah again I don't think it's like a GPSs are bad or GPSs are good. It's just like data is data, and it's more like a personal thing of like well how do I what does it take for me to be the best that I can be and like make sure that I'm in the driver's seat and not, not like the numbers or the social media or all the outside yeah. influences, you know, um, I, I think we got running super. In, 
Interesting. Sorry, Mount running is super interesting um, because pace sometimes is almost pointless. Right. Um, it's not pointless, but it's like I I tell people like I'll I'll do workouts for mountain running that are similar to workouts that I did in college, but the format is so di- like so you know in college maybe we'd spin one k repeats at like three minutes three minutes and ten seconds. You know, so basically three minutes off and then a rest, you know, and I'll do the same type of like three minutes on and then a rest in mountain running, but I might do it up a average grade of like 40% going like 20 minutes per mile. And it might be even harder than the workout I did in college. Right. And I'm covering a fraction of the distance, but it's like, but it's kind of the same workout but also different, like, I might be getting actually, like, a harder workout going, like, you know, 10 times slower, <laughs> which is kind of, sure. which is kind of, which is kind of mind-boggling. Yeah. I mean, what popped to my head, Zach, was when you start setting up your running camps, I think, man, having that cabin clock day will be pretty cool, right? Like, hey, we're all going to look at the clock, let's go for the run, no watches, no yeah. nothing, and then they come back and see how I did, man. But that's my idea, man. Yeah. That's the way I think. Yeah, yeah. No, I think people do identify with that. Like, I think it is a neat thing to just be like, let, let's go, you know, let, let's just, you know, unplug a little bit and just let it flow. Um, and when I would do that, I think some days I would have like routes where I'd be like, okay, this week I keep, because I would do that sometimes like in kind of in the winter um and up at bar camp you know it gets snowy so like my training got really repetitive basically i did a ton of snowshoe running and the only way to keep a snowshoe track in up there is really to keep running the same tracks all the time and and you know even if you slag off for like a few days you kind of you can lose your track because another storm comes and you know there it goes so i would repeat the same stuff a lot of times you know so sometimes training was like okay this week i did this loop and then like okay now this week we're going to do a little more so i do that loop and then add on a li- little bit like maybe when a lit climbed a little higher up the mountain and came down or you know it, and you just kind of added and it kind of got more about completing routes sometimes sometimes i think it was more about completing routes than like than um than miles it was like okay now i'm up to this loop now i'm up to this loop plus Mm. this loop now i'm up to this loop plus this loop plus this little loop you know and so it's just kind of like there's just the different type of metrics that you can use to kind of gauge your training yeah sure man one of the pieces that again sort of that I, that I just thought was fantastic i was enraptured by it but i mean you talk a lot about like your purpose can you discuss um, you know, because you even said in the documentary, if my whole purpose on life was winning races, then it would just be sort of empty to kind of paraphrase it. Where, where do you see like, you know, your purpose and how ultra running plays into that? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I did. So I did a podcast the other week, um, and they asked me, um, they kind of asked me a similar question, but I think maybe in a broader sense of kind of more like, I think they more just asked me like, what's life about? <laughs> and it's like, whoa, well, that's <laughs> um, 
And my response was kind of like, well, we're each given this life. Um, like we're, we're all a part of this great big world and this great big life. And we each are given our own little piece of it. Um, and I think like our, our job here on earth is really to be the best, to make the best use of it that we can, you know, to be a good steward of this little piece of life that we've been given. Um, and so I think like when I talk about running and stuff, it's like, well, I could just be really focused on winning races and accumulating accolades and all of this stuff. But I don't think that's really like the best use of my little piece of life. Like if I just get to the end of my life and, you know, I turn in and be like, hey, here, I, I won all these races. Like, this is what I did with my life. Um, it'd be like, well, that's great. But if that's all the farther it went, that's going to be kind of sad. Um, and I think like if you actually you read about like different athletes and different successful people and um i i listened to an audiobook of uh phil knight the the coach for the um he was the coach for the chicago bulls uh back when it was like michael jordan and scotty yeah. Pippen. um and he would explain how like they'd win a big championship and then and you and you think it's going to be so great you know and and like it is for like a night and then basically you wake up the next day and the slate's clean. Like you're basically like, okay, like now, like now what do we do? Like it, it doesn't really like fulfill you. Um, so you're just kind of always chasing another win. Cause like once you get a win, then you just start chasing the next one to prove that like that win, it wasn't a fluke. Right. <laughs> can, I, can I ask you a question on that, Zach? To, to stay on that, to stay on that same theme, man, because I don't mean to cut you off, but you know the process is more important than the product, is what we're saying, right? Like your journey and your process, but what's yeah. more important than that win? Yeah, I, yeah, for, yeah, for sure. Like one, it, the process is important because you got to get there in a fair manner and like uh, in a morally good manner. Like if you if you take a shortcut or you cheat or you or you just like, I don't know, like you neglect your family and your loved ones along the way, like, which can easily happen. Um, but that's just not, you know, that's just not great. That's like, you just sacrificed more important things of life for something that's really pretty superficial. Um, so yeah, I think it's gotta be more, it's gotta be more about the process and like, how did you get there? Who did you inspire along the way? Who did you help along the way? And then like, once you got there, what did you do with it? Like, what do you get when you win a big race? Well, you get, you get a voice, um, you know, you get people paying attention. So then what did you do with that? You know, did you, did you use that voice to spread a good message? Did you use that to make a positive impact on younger generations? You know, did you, you know, use the, the like the fruits of your labor to you know maybe start an organization or a nonprofit or to help somebody underprivileged i think those are all like those are the more important things like the the running is kind of like if the running can be like a means to all of that then then that's then that then that that then that's really good like then that's uh that's more of a success that yeah. way um so I mean, how, you know, and it's a little funny because athletes, they want the success, but it's sure. like the success shouldn't be the only thing that we're after. We should be looking to do a bit more with it. Yeah. 
I mean, how does the role of faith then play into your purpose and, and focusing on the process? Yeah, um, I think, so I, I was raised in a Christian home and uh, my parents, like my, my parents were missionaries. Um, and so I always grew up with that faith being like a very big part of, of my life and who I was. Um, and I guess, I guess I kind of always viewed like, and especially in like years, year, years like since JFK and stuff is like, wow, this running is like a real gift that I've been given. Like um, there aren't like, there aren't a ton of people who can, who can do this to the level that for some reason I'm able to do it, you know? And I, it's like, I don't, you know, I don't necessarily know why that is, um, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that it's that way, but then it's like, well, then I, I better like make good use of this. Um, so, you know, I, th I think from the faith side of things, I, I try to conduct myself in the sport in a manner that, you know, is, is, is a good represent, that makes me a good representative of 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 that faith and um yeah i guess to try and like i guess to try and be like a a, po a positive light in the world um and now I, I think you know and it's also a funny place to be because you know obviously like it's all like a journey so like i'm not necessarily going to be in like a a perfect polished place all the time like no like nobody is that's just not how humans are um so like you know i'll i'll go through times where i have like a lot of questions or you know i think like okay like i grew up believing all this stuff but like you know now that i'm older and i've experienced more things and i've traveled a lot and i've seen different viewpoints it's like I, i'm kind of in this phase right now where it's like okay like what do i what do I actually like are all the things that I, I believed when I was like 18 you know or 15 or 14 or 20 do they all still hold true you know today and you know and I, and I think sometimes when people are in a faith journey they get to that point of like questioning things and they think like oh man there's like something wrong with my faith you know like I shouldn't be having these questions and I and I think like no, that's actually like a really good thing. Mm -hmm. You should have those questions and you should face them and then you should come, you should work to try and come to some sort of, you know, conclusion and you may never come to a complete conclusion. Um, but it's okay to ask those questions. And I think like lately in my journey, I've been like, you know, kind of finding myself like having like being a bit more skeptical of things and asking more questions, but you know, you're still you're still trying to like uh, find your way in all of that. And I, you know, and I think that's all right, you know? Um, and I think, and I think it's, it's stuff like that um, through my running, you know, I've been given much more of a voice than I used to have. I, I'm able to, I, I write a monthly column for ironfire.com. And, you know, I always try and like weave like stuff in there. That's like, it's usually just about stuff that I'm going through stuff that I'm processing 
that I also think other people might be able to relate to. And I guess I use that as a big way of like um, expressing my voice and like my thoughts about life. And, and it's like, well, I found that like, if you're feeling something or thinking something, even if you think like you're the only one, there's probably actually like a million other people who are feeling the same way. Um, right. So it's helpful to just like throw those, those thoughts out there. And then other people are like, Oh, wow. Like, I feel exactly the same. And like, now I feel better because I know I'm not the, not the only one. So yeah. um, I, I think with running, if I can just, if I can stay like open and honest about like the stuff that I'm learning and the stuff that I'm thinking and the questions that I have and what I've learned and whatnot, then, then that's hopefully a good way to make good use of, of the opportunities that, that running has presented me. Yeah. And I appreciate that transparency, man, a lot. When, when it comes to like your running style, I mean, you know, you've, you've mentioned, man, I mean, it's, you're, you're an all in guy, right? I mean, not caring about what happens in the result. Like, how do you get to that space mentally? Cause I mean, you discuss like being free from results and being free from kind of outcome, like heading into things. How do you get to that spot? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I don't know if anybody's, well, maybe a few people are completely free. Um, like I, I think a lot of times, I think sometimes I, when people watch me run, it looks like I don't care. <laughs> um, I, uh, but I do care a lot. Like, I mean, find me on a start line and ask me how nervous I am. Um, like it, 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 I guess in a way it shows like how much I care. I, I, I had a t Alex Varner and I were teammates for a while. And I remember him always talking about how like he gets nervous for races. Like I think like days in advance, he'll get all nervous. And, and he learns that like, that's okay. Like that's a good thing. Cause it shows that I still care. Like if I wasn't nervous, like then maybe I just don't care enough, which if you don't get nervous, I think that's, that's not say bad. Maybe it just means like your mental game is super strong. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't want people to think like I'm, I've completely conquered this, this, uh, this, this men mentality that I talk about. Um, but yeah, I, I do recognize that I'm like, if you can step to a line and be like, well, I don't, I don't care. Cause I, what, what I'll do sometimes is I, I step back and be like, okay, if I'm like an outsider looking in like tw 2020 vision or, or whatever, like, you know, what would I tell myself? And it's like, well, you know what would be super exciting is if like there was an athlete who could step to a line and just be like, well, I don't care what happens. Like, I don't care if I blow up or, you know, or if I win, like, I'm just going to go out there and like go for it. I'd be like, that'd be a super fun athlete to watch. Mm -hmm. <laughs> be like, this guy's going to go for it. Be Like, we know he's going to go for it because he just doesn't care. Like, he's going to be happy at the finish whether this thing blows up or whether he gets the win like he'll probably be more happy if he wins but he's still going to be okay if he doesn't and if you can get to that state that's super freeing and that just kind of blows open a whole set of doors um but you know i think i'm at this point where it's like i recognize that but i also still care so much that it's hard for me not to be upset if it doesn't go my way um but I guess I found some races where I'm either just like, I don't know, crazy enough or stupid enough or, or um, competitive enough 
that I basically just throw myself in there anyways and and see what and see what happens. Yeah. Because I've had races where we start and I'm like, man, we might be in trouble. <laughs> like, I'm like, I I don't know if any of it, like I don't know if I can hold hold on to this. You know, um, I was doing a workout this morning with there's a local triathlon group where I'm training right now, um, and we all jump on Zwift two mornings a week and hammer out these hard virtual workouts. Um, and this morning we were doing repeats that were unknown. Like uh, the coach would just tell us when to go and when to stop. And you didn't know how long it was going to go. And I remember I didn't say it in the ride uh, to any of the other riders, but I remember I was like, I did this for six hours once at JFK or not JFK. I did this for six hours once um, at, at uh, North Face 50 with Hayden Hawks. Like, cause that's kind of how some of those North Face races felt for me. It was just like, like this morning when it was like, okay, go hard. And you just stop going hard when I say stop. Like that was the feeling I had in that workout this morning reminded me of North Face 50. Where it was just like Hayden and I were so neck and neck all day that it was just like, it was just kind of like constant pain and constant like surging on and off. And it was just like, I, like, I was like, I don't know if, if we can, do this like yeah like i'll be like 10 mile five 10 miles in and be like this might be a ship bound for destruction (laughs) right i mean can i ask you a question then like when you get to that pain cave you really it's hurting and the doubt comes in and where where do you go to how do you manage that how do you prepare for it how do you get better at it um i yeah let's see it's fascinating because none of us really know how anybody else's brain works. Like, like if you think about it, like I know what I feel when I'm in pain. I know what I like, how I respond when I'm in those tough places, but I don't really know how anyone else's brain like handles it. So it's really fascinating because it's like, we're all running the same race, but we're all our own individuals. And like, sometimes I think like, well, maybe I'm just really good at hanging on. And maybe like, there's this line, maybe there's this line that like, when like 80, like 80% of the population hits this line, they're all just like, okay, I'm done. And they just kind of give up. And like, maybe, maybe my line is just like way past that. You know what I mean? I, I don't really know. Like it's, but for me, like when I'm in that, to, to answer your question, like when I'm in there, I think partly it's just, I have this really deep drive that's like, it's part competitive nature. Like when you're like when you're like when you're 10 years old and you're on the playground and you just have to win, like you have to win the kickball game. Like, you know, and if you don't, you're gonna like go and you're gonna go home and like cry, ball your eyes out. I don't know, maybe not everyone did that. <laughs> maybe that was just me um it's like that same thing that you had when you're 10 years old and I feel like most people grow up and it disappears but for me it's like still in there like that 10 year old piece of myself is still in there it's just like I have to hang on it's like in college when I'd be on those runs with the faster runners as a freshman and I'd just be like I have to hang on like this is how I succeed today like my only means of success um not to be a good runner, just like 
to succeed that day in that run is to finish with the best runners on the team, you know, and to hang on for 10 miles. Um, and I think I just, that's where my brain basically goes in a race is just like, I want to win today. And I like, I need to make this, like, I need to make this happen. Like, like I can't, I can't let up. And it just, it just grooves in there. And on the good days, some days it falls apart, but on the good days, it hangs on all the way to the finish. And then the finish is like huge relief because that's like the only time I really like, I finally let myself let off the gas. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, that's, and then there is this kind of like sadistic piece of me that gets in this like painful spot that like, is like, Oh, this hurts. And this is also like kind of enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I just keep like digging like deeper and deeper into that hole because there is some sort of like uh, adrenaline rush from that. And, and so I think that that plays a factor too. Does it come though? Because one of the things that I love is like the will to prepare has to be greater than that will to win. Cause that individual that can step up the race really wanting to go to that spot, but it mean, it comes back to how you prepare and how you, how you do it daily. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think there's still like a physical, there, there's still like a physical limit. I, I think the thing is, I think a lot of us, the, the true physical limit is farther back than we think. Like a lot of us hit a mental limit before we hit the physical limit. Yeah. But if your mental game is really strong, you can, if your mental game is really strong, you can get to that physical limit. But then that, if that physical limit doesn't match the, that, that physical limit is set by the training and the preparation. So you can only like, basically, no matter how tough you are mentally, you can only go so far. So the training for me for races was always like, I guess for me, it was kind of like, well, I'm really good at pushing to whatever my physical limit is. So my key to winning the race, like that comes naturally. So my real key to winning the race is to put in like, to put in the proper training and preparation so that when I get to the line, I'm as fit and as strong as I can be so that that line is as far out as it can be. And then I can push all the way up to it with like, you know, or as close as I can get with, with my mental game. Yeah. Because like, um, like I was saying to talk about these cycling workouts again, like I, I've just started doing these cycling workouts and it's like, I'm still building up, my I'm still building up my fitness and my biking legs and everything and you know there's part of me that's like you know uh you know uh, the, maybe there's a you know the, I won't necessarily be like the top rider in the group but you know there's a part of me that's like man I was like I, I think there's potential here like if I can catch up my fitness if I can catch up my preparation you know, to my, you know, pair that with my mental game. I was like, I think I can do even better in these workouts. Like, I think I can, you know, run some, run some of these guys down. I think I can outlast some of these people, you know, and no, no, no offense to anyone in those groups. It's just, you know, but it's just like, that's, that's an athlete. That's a competitive nature. Um, but it's like, I can tell right now that it's like, my fitness is not at its peak. My strength is not at its peak. So like, I can play this mental game, you know, as hard as I want, but I have, a limitation 
you know, by just where I am from a training perspective. Yeah. I love that answer, man. I mean, it's, you know, when we get into the, the details of that, especially the mental game in the documentary, you, you know, they emphasize the UTMB and, you know, your experience is there and your race is there. And you, you share at the end about, Hey man, the pieces are like there. And one of your goals is still be the first American male to, to win that race. Where do you see, you know, your vision and, and what's the missing piece, I guess, in terms of being able to, um, you know, ultimately reach, reach that goal? Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I've had this question before. UTMB is a tough race. It's like, it's like there's all, it's kind of like a big puzzle and you have to get all the pieces to not completely click, but mostly click. Yeah. Um, and it's just really easy for something to go wrong. Um, it's, I, I, I remember, um, I remember being over, I think we were maybe over at UTMB one year and, um, a friend and, uh, teammate, uh, Amanda Basham who, who runs for ultra. I remember she came over and ran it and she was like, she's run Western States and she's done really well there. I think she's been like fourth at Western States and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And I remember her reaction to how hard UTMB is. She was like, she was like, this is your, like, it's the only hundred I've ever done. And she's like, this is your only hundred. She's like, this is like, this one is so, she's like, it's so hard. She's like, it's crazy. Like how hard this one is. She's like, like the other ones are like so much easier, like, like Western States and stuff. Not that they're easy, right. but it was just interesting to hear her perspective, having done, you know, various hundred milers and going over doing UTMB and being like, and her realizing that like, this was the only hundred I knew and expressing to me like how hard it was stacked up against the other ones that she's done. Yeah. Um, and so I, and it's hard because it's long. It's like, it takes nearly a full day. So you've got the sleep deprivation, you've got the night running, you've got the day running. So you've got those different factors. Um, you've got the, the technical nature is not really that hard. Uh, like, I mean, it's a lot of vert, you know, it's a lot of like 3000 foot climb, 3000 foot descent, you know, so that beats you up, but the technicality of the trail is not that hard. Um, and then you've got, um, you've got the travel aspect for the American runners, you know, going over to Europe, the time zones at the 6 p.m. start, um, and you've got, and then you've got the nutrition, which is like kind of this whole beast of like trying to figure out how to fuel for basically a full day in the mountains, um, while competing. And so for me, I think, I think one big thing, one big puzzle piece that I, and needing to work on is like my nutrition strategy. I feel like I've tried different things over the years. I've had, you know, I had one year where I felt like it was the nutrition was particularly good. Um, I've had other years where, you know, it just kind of didn't go so well. Um, so I think, yeah, thing, things I need to dial in are, are, are my nutrition. It's just kind of different over the course of a race like that. I've 
gotten really good at dialing in nutrition at a race like North Face 50 uh, or at a 50 mile race that, you know, say takes around six hours. Um, I've gotten, you know, pretty good at that fueling strategy, mm -hmm. um, but UTMB is a different type of fueling strategy. So right. I need to dial in that. And then I think also I need to dial in like the rhythm of like how to handle those huge climbs and then those huge descents without like totally trashing your, without blowing your legs out early, you know? Um, so whether that's using poles or just finding a different rhythm, you know, I, I think I, I, I kind of have to find like the rhythm of the course and it's kind of, it's kind of hard yet. I don't know if it's hard, but it's just like, I don't seem to have, that doesn't seem to be something I've nailed yet is like, what is the rhythm of UTMB? Like, how do you gauge the effort? Um, and how do you, how do you keep your legs? Like, how do you basically not blow up your quads? Um, and yeah, and then how do you do, how do you do the nutrition? Um, you know, I, I've had a couple of years of really strong performances from start to Champé-Lac, which is maybe like mile 70. Um, and then from Champé-Lac on is usually where, is, is where I, I, that's kind of my missing piece. Um, I had one year where I got all the way to Treant. Well, um, and like, uh, that was actually my first year. Ludovic Pomeray and I were, were together in the lead at Treant, which I think is like 25 miles or so from the finish. Um, but that's kind of like everything beyond that is like, it, it's just kind of like my Achilles heel. Um, so I got to also just dial in that last piece of the course. Um, but, you know, but when I ran CCC, um, that was like my best piece of the course, <laughs> you know, I, I left Trient cause it's a similar course. It's mm -hmm. just kind of like jumps in halfway. And I, I got to CC, I got to Trient and then I just like, I kind of like, I, I fought like crazy up the climb out of Trient, which is probably one of the harder climbs of, of the race. And then something clicked and I just kind of cruised home. Um, so I got to figure out how to, how to do that again, but I, I haven't managed to do so. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. Cause I mean, I, again, about the journey, right. About that process, about what you're doing. Yeah. So and I respect that, man. With, um, with this interview, I mean, I always, I like to ask this question, but which, which question should I be asking Zach that, that I'm not asking? Um, hmm, that's a good, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, maybe that's the question which you are asking. <laughs> um, I think, I think what pops to mind is like, the interesting question to ask would be like, what like what makes you like what makes you excited or like what would get you what 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 would get you like looking at the upcoming year like what could you put on your schedule be it a race or a project or whatever that would just kind of like spark an excitement that would be like this gets me fired up like this is like a breath of new life um I think that that's what that would be the question, I guess. Great, man. Are you able to answer it? 
Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think like back in my early years um, in the sport, pretty much everything lit me up. You know, I remember racing like Sonoma um, in 2014 and like flying home on the airplane. And I just remember like looking out the window and I just loved looking out airplane windows. And I'd like look down and I'd see like all these, I don't know, forests or what deserts or whatever and I would just like kind of daydream about like maybe like running through them or like what next adventure I was going to have you know because everything was just kind of like new and fresh and you know it was all exciting um, and as you go in the sport you do more and you experience more and you know it's like a lot of things in life you can get a little jaded like first time at UTMB is super fresh and then like in other years it's like can still be exciting but it's like it's not that first time feeling anymore um so I think for me like I really get jazzed on like that big day that big day feeling like not necessarily that it's a race but like when I've planned like a like a like a, a cool route in the mountains and it's like maybe I drive there in my truck and I and I and I think through all my gear and I'm like okay what am I gonna need and I pull out the map and I like come up with a route and I'm like I'm gonna connect all this stuff you know, and then you kind of like gather all your stuff and you go to bed and you wake up and you like put everything on like, and, and it's just like, you know, it's just like back when you're like just getting into the sport and you, you were just having adventures. I think that's the type of thing that gets me excited now. So like this summer, if I could like, you know, I think like pick a really cool route somewhere in Colorado or something you know, like I, I'm still fascinated by like the Nolan's, the Nolan's 14 line, which is, you know, like a line of 14 14ers in Colorado that you link all together and it's a lot of off trail. Mm -hmm. I think that's just fascinating because it's like this concrete goal of, okay, get to the top of all these 14ers, but this like choose your own adventure of like, you can go off trail, you can go on trail. It's just kind of like navigating, you know, and you kind of got to become a if you want to do it well, you have to go out and do your homework and become like a student of the land. And I think something like that would just kind of like light me up and get me excited be like, okay, I'm just going to jump in and commit myself to this project. Um, like at bar camp, I used to go out and train on Pikes Peak all the time. And sometimes I'd run on trail and sometimes I'd run off trail. And it was just really fun that I knew that mountain so well, I could like jump off a trail, make an off trail connection, shoot a ridge line, and like do all this stuff. And, and you feel like you're doing it efficiently, but you also feel like you're doing something special because you're like, ah, not everybody knows how to do this. Like not everybody knows how to shoot all these lines and make all these connections and like can navigate their way, you know, in this space. And when you can do that and you got there with no map, no gps and just like know where you're going you know it's a little more like survival it's a little more like you know colonial or you know, like early days explore um that type of thing get you know gets me excited and then when you're like self-sufficient with all your fuel and stuff and yeah you know that, that stuff gets me jazzed up the part i love about that so much man is like if you hear about jerry seinfeld and he'll talk about the orchestrating of a joke and it's the same, it's the same exact thing, right? About where he needs to start, but where he can go totally off and, uh -huh. and be able to bring that back. And, and just the artistic piece of it, though, because that's where like the creativity 
and the effort, you know, meet. And that, that's the part that I find yeah. fascinating, man. Yeah, I think that's, that's kind of it. It's like it brings, things like that bring like an artistry to it, where it's like, it's not just like, okay, we're going to run a 10K on the track and it's going to be 20, you know, 25 laps or, you know, we're going to, or even we're going to run this course that's marked by flags, you know. You know, you strip that away and you turn it more into like, you turn it more into like an like an art form, um, and yeah, it's just like yeah. I, I had a run I had a run that I did as I was getting ready to leave bar camp. I was kind of like going a little nuts and doing all my favorite stuff, <laughs> and um, uh, there was I, I went out one day and I did I pieced together this route that I called like all the little things. And I actually tried to record it, but failed to see us. So I was like, I wanted to like put it up and the locals could see and be like, oh yeah, we'll try and do that. Um, but uh, technology failed me. So maybe it's better, better than I did. Um, but I went out and I just like, I, I tagged like all these like kind of random little summits that were like all within the area, but it was like a pretty long route, but it was like, it was just kind of like so many different little things and it was like piecing together all these things I had learned over my years of living up there and it was just it was just really fun and really cool like to be like oh I know I can jump off the trail you know at this switchback and hit this ridge and tag this peak and like go off you know it was just it was just constant off trail on trail off trail on trail and it, it, it was super fun yeah yeah I, I like that sort of stuff but um yeah. Another thing that's intrigued me lately is uh, a friend sent me uh, a video of, uh, I don't know if I say her name right, but Leo Wilcox. She's uh, she's like an endurance, like an ultra endurance cyclist, which I wasn't very uh, in tune with uh, that sport. Um, but it was like about her riding the, the Tour Divide and things, which is the route from Banff, Canada, down to New Mexico. Oh, okay. um, and and so lately that sparked my interest. I've do, been doing a, a bunch of cycling. I'm like, man, it would be it'd be cool to go see how like how like I'm not you know I'm not I'm a runner. I'm not I'm not you know I'm not I'm not a sponsored cyclist or anything. But I'm like it'd be cool to see how long you can do that route. I was like these guys are like ultra runners. I was like you do the math and you're like the record's like 13 days. They're riding like. 220 230 miles a day like when Lael does it she'll she'll sleep for like four hours a night and I'm like man this is like this is like right up the alley of of what the ultra runners do I was like we're used to going like 24 hours um but like I mean like it'd be interesting to like put yourself in that hurt box and and see like could you ride 200 miles a day for two weeks you know on a gravel bike like (laughs) you know and that's sparked my attention lately i'm just kind of like hmm. it's kind of like something i tuck back there and be like maybe i should try that <laughs> yeah that's a part i love though man because that's that's living right i mean it's adventure it's it's curiosity man and it's uh i think when you put your potential to something like that that's what makes life all about it man you know yeah yeah for sure yeah yeah and sometimes i'm like you know you I sit back and be like well what am i doing like I can be doing so much stuff. Like, what am I doing with my life? Like, why don't I just go do it? Yeah. <laughs> well, stop thinking about it. <laughs> man, Zach, thanks so much for coming on, man, sharing your experience, strength, and hope. And uh, definitely going to put the links on there. Um, but okay. where, where, where else would you like people to uh, find more about you? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm most active on Instagram. So uh, my Instagram account is uh, Zach Miller 38. Uh, Zach with a CH. Um, yep. So if you find me on there, um, that's that's where I post most of my stuff. If you care to follow along, um, I I am on Twitter as well under the uh, same handle, basically with maybe a few dashes, but Zach Miller 38. Yeah. Um, but I, I I don't utilize Twitter much, and um, I guess I I've got I've got a Facebook fan page and like a Facebook personal page as well all under my name so um we'll post those yeah, you can look for me on there um but yeah and then yeah i, I every month i write an article for iron far so if you check out ironfar.com uh, i have a column called finding words um and each month i i throw some thoughts out there that hopefully people enjoy i love it man thanks so much i appreciate you all right thank you Thank you for listening to the Mental Toughness Podcast. If you like what you heard today, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. You can also check us out on Twitter at Dr. Rob Bell or visit our website at drrobbell.com.